You all know the topic today, again, is very good, um, and I think it's a worthy one. As we've been looking at grace for the past couple weeks, and it will soon turn into months, uh, and I think that's an okay thing too. Uh, we've looked at different aspects of grace, and if you have notes, you can see the different ones that we've covered. Uh, the couple weeks previous, and we kind of alluded to it last week, we looked at shared grace, and that's the kind of grace that comes through each other. As we grow in community, the flow of grace just picks up. God uses other people to help grow us. Uh, but akin to that, and we've been talking about it last week, and we're going to, a little bit more this week, saturating grace. This is when the grace that comes in sinks down deep into our hearts. The understanding of what God has done and his grace grows to the point where it begins to change who we are, how we react, and those type things. It's the grace that sinks in and enables my will to be transformed to reflect God's community. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I'm taken from where I was when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and the journey that he's taking me to become more like Jesus Christ. It's a journey not of wish. It's a reality that God has set forth very key things in his word about how to accomplish that. How does he do that? What do I need to do? And that provides our outline going into the weeks ahead is, is how does that work? How do I position myself in a place for God to change me? Uh, how do I not rely on my own will to change me because will, our own willpower can't accomplish God's purposes. It can't give us the type changes that the Lord wants to do within our hearts. So as we were doing this, we're talking about spiritual formation. That whole process where through which people are inwardly transformed in such a way that the personality and deeds of Jesus Christ naturally flow out from them when and wherever they are. This is the whoosh that we talked about. That when things happen, it's the response that comes from your deep heart. It's either going to be coming from the flesh or it's going to be coming from the Spirit of God, the new man that has been created in, in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And if you weren't here last week, I just want to quickly review uh, about the will, your heart, kind of the same word. When we talk about the part of you that wills and wants to do something that you have complete control over, it's the part of you that decides to do things. Nobody can make you love somebody else. You choose to do that. Nobody can make you like a particular kind of music. That is your choice. It's very hard for people to make you change your mind. Really impossible. That is the part of you that makes you you. It's that choice. So in all of that, there is a will, an impulsive will that we talked about. And that is something that Adam and Eve did not have, at least at the beginning. They didn't have the flesh. They didn't have that struggle inside. And the scripture verse there, Romans 7, 18, was when Paul is talking about this, this conflict inside where he wants to do the good, but he just doesn't seem to be able to do it. There's something missing. So the first part of our will that we talked about is that impulsive thing, that thing that's attracted to things because they look good, 
because I want them, because they're beautiful, they're pretty, they glitter, and, and I want it, so I go and get it. That is the thing that governs us the day that we're born. We have a flesh. That's why you have to teach children to be good. You don't have to teach them to be bad. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. The flesh is there. You can see it very obviously. We try to conform it and, and, and work with that to get our children to be in a better place, but in reality, the, the will is what God moves into. This is where he wants to, to move in so that we can make choices for him. And that led us to the second portion, or the reflective will. That part of you that, that can look at something and evaluate. Well, you know what? If I do this right now, I can't do this later, so I'm going to make a choice to say no to this and say yes to this because it has a bigger payoff later on. Now, that reflective will exists in people, but unless Jesus moves in, unless you become a Christian, you're still going to be bound to the flesh. You just look a little bit better in your journey. So you'll still be going along and making decisions, but it's still all about you. And this is the will here that, that you, you look forward to it, but God says, you know what, I've given you a new freedom. I look, I look to what you can become, and this is where God moves in and he, he comes in in power, the divine nature. So that as Jesus moves in, he takes us from looking to our own good to his glory. So a new whole path is being opened up to us. Before, we had one person to live for, and that was me. And it was all about me. And I liked it being all about me because I'm great. I'm wonderful. And, and everything's supposed to cater to us. That's called bondage, the bondage of the flesh. Uh, a lot of people think freedom is just doing whatever I want. No, that, that's bondage. That's flesh. Freedom comes to live a way that you could not have lived before had it not been for the grace of God. So as he moves in to that reflective will, he gives you the ability then by the power of his Holy Spirit, to live differently, to make choices in this world, not about me, but about him and about his glory. So the last part of it that we spoke about last week is that thing called the embodied will, or this is your deep heart. This is where things just come out of you, either good or bad, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is where transformation is supposed to happen. So that either the flesh or this reflective will living for the glory of God is going to settle down into who I am and become the normal way that I react. So if I blow up in anger and I take somebody and tear them apart, it's because the flesh has found its way and it's deeper down in my heart than the Spirit of God is. So that as I'm living my life, that, that comes out of me instinctively. When I see a person in need, do I think, oh, I'm going to pretend I didn't see them. I didn't, pretend I didn't see that because I, my flesh, doesn't really want to get involved, doesn't want to do that. Or is my heart moved with tenderness and compassion saying, you know what, this, Jesus in this situation, he'd be doing this. My heart will instinctively do the same kind of thing. So that's the fight of the Christian life. What do I do with this thing called the flesh? Because it's there it isn't eradicated simply because I come to Jesus Christ. It's been liberated and in a sense defeated, or at least the power of it has been rendered inoperative. But the problem is, 
We like that flesh. And we've lived with it for so long. We often turn our hearts back towards it and live in the bondage that Jesus set us free from so that we don't see that liberation take place in our heart and life and we live as if something like grace never ever entered in. We live as if we're still in bondage to that flesh. And that's the whole point of grace, is to take me from a place where I'm living in the flesh and my whole goal in my Christian life then becomes killing that. How do you put the flesh to death so that I can live in the new way of the Holy Spirit? Uh, the the note, um, verse on the top of your note says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't have to do that anymore. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Many times in the Christian life, our greatest enemy is ourselves. We inflict things on ourselves because we live by the flesh and not by the Spirit of God. Uh, when it comes to that embodied will, I mentioned last week uh, that when somebody, and I use the word disses you, then you diss back. And I was told that that's not the right word anymore. And I, like I'm dating myself by using that word. I was told that now... People throw shade at you. And like when I was growing up, that was a good thing. You know, you put shade on somebody, they're hot, you know. So, so this embodied will reacts. So when, when shade gets thrown upon thee, okay, when it comes, your reaction is to throw shade back. You don't sit and say, hmm, shade just got thrown my way. What should I do? Shall I throweth it back? Or shall I not? Shall I respond? What would Jesus do right now? How would he handle this shade? You don't get that time to think that through. It's the whoosh that comes out of you. Jesus is the one that the scriptures say when he was reviled against, he reviled not back. He didn't, he didn't throw it back at them. When he, he was a sheep before the shears, it says as he was dumb, he didn't open his mouth. How many times is that true of us? When it comes to us and it's in our face, our natural reaction is to not throw it back, to not answer in kind. You see, there's so much flesh in us that we don't even realize because our world says, well, that's normal. That's how you're supposed to react. When, when somebody does this to you, back. Stand up for yourself. Give them a piece of your mind. So we, so we see so much of the fleshly way that it's easy to think, well, that's just how people are. That's just how I am. I'm supposed to answer this way. I'm supposed to act this way because naturally I'm only human and we give all kinds of excuses and we don't understand the bondage that even in the Christian life we have to this thing called flesh. And we're going to spend the rest of the time this morning kind of looking at how deep that bondage is. Because unless we realize how horrid the flesh really is, we're not going to rush to put it to death. We're going to think that somehow, oh, it's okay, it can be part of me. Yeah, I got a few bad habits. You know, I fly off the handle sometimes. Oh, my thought life really isn't that good. But we can become accepting of that. 
thinking that somehow it's okay to, to just get to this level of the Christian life and just kind of hang out here because people at church like me and they smile and we say nice things and we have good dinners together and my life's kind of okay and we just kind of plane out and be content with certain sinful things that are part of us because this is normal. You know, I'm only human, but God says, you know what, maybe, maybe you are only human, but I'm, I'm not. I'm divine. And I've moved into you. And I've moved into you with the purpose of changing you to live according to my glory so that your responses are my responses. If we as a church, as Christianity today, lived that way all the time, we would stand out so much because the life of God and the way of God is so far into this world that they would see Jesus all the time. The problem is we just don't. We just settle for something less than the glory of God. We love the old flesh and we don't really want to do the things necessary to put it to death. So as we look at the bondage that we're in, the first part of this bondage, number one, and this is kind of the overarching one, it's the bondage of legal guilt and divine condemnation. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's, that's the kind of bondage it says here in Romans chapter 3. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Universally true of every person who has ever walked the face of this earth, or whoever will, is that we are under divine condemnation because of sin. It doesn't matter that the person you might know is nice. They may be very likable. But there is a legal aspect before God where we stand condemned because of our sin. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't will my way out of it. I can't somehow justify it and say, well, there's no such thing as sin. Sin doesn't really exist. These are just maybe poor life choices that I make at times. But I'm really not a sinner. The Bible says there is none righteous. That before God, we are spiritually dead. That is condemnation. That without grace, every one of us would be bound for hell. That is bondage. That is a depth of bondage that I am helpless to do anything about. You are helpless to do anything about it. Our world likes to think that we can change ourselves and that mankind is just getting better and better. Has anybody seen that in your daily life, that people are just getting better? Has anybody like stopped locking your doors? Uh, because humanity is wonderful. Nobody would steal your stuff. You know, you don't have to worry about that. How many of you still hide things that might be of value in your car? Because if somebody looks in, they're not going to say, oh, I'm so glad you have that. Blessings on you. That's wonderful. No, they're going to say, I want it. I'm going to take it. People hurt people. People steal from people. People, it, we're not good people. There is none righteous. No, not one. The sentence is fixed. Justice is un unimpeachable. We will perish. The bottom line, the condemnation, is because we do not have, as humans, God as our source. We have the flesh, and that's all we have, unless grace comes in. The second thing, and these last four things, really are like true because the first one's true. These are more like conditions of our heart 
We are legally guilty before God. We do not have any prayer of standing before him in our own merit. We are lost. But the next four things are kind of conditions, and it's the bondage of spiritual death. The bondage of spiritual death. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because of that guilt before God, we were spiritually dead. Spiritual death, it's not a good thing. Uh, Have you ever really seen a dead person do much of anything? They can't do anything to help anyone. They can't do anything to help themselves. And that's the condition of our heart. That's what our will is like. It doesn't even have the ability to want to follow God unless grace were to move in and make a change. And and that's a pretty helpless place to be in. Uh, I don't know. A lot of us are kind of independent. We We don't like to take help from other people. We like to think that we can make this happen. I can do this. I can do that. You see it from a child very young. You go to help them tie their shoe after they, I can do it. I can do it. You know, our flesh doesn't want to admit its own inability. So some of us will live our life thinking, I can lick this. I can handle this. I can do it. I can do it. Spiritual death means unless grace does something. I am, I am spiritually dead. I can't do anything for myself. So in that type bondage, I need grace to come in and bring life and do something for me. Now as we go through each of these, you're going to have a, a little bolded section in your notes. We're going to go back and fill that in at the very end. You're not going to see that answer or hear that till we get to the, the end of all of these things about our bondage to see what Jesus has done in his grace to bring remedy to each type of bondage. So don't, don't think you're missing something. That's going to come in at the end. So it's the bondage of spiritual death. The third one, and we're going to spend most of our time on this one, is the bondage of the love for the darkness of self. Bondage for the love of the darkness of self. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see, the bondage of the human heart is not that we are lacking light. It's the fact that we love darkness and hate light. There is plenty of light in the world. The Bible says that the invisible qualities of, of God can even be seen through creation and through, through nature. That, that there's plenty of knowledge. Many of us have one Bible in your house. Anybody just have one Bible? Two Bibles, three Bibles, four Bibles, electronic Bibles, five Bibles. How many of us have radio stations that we could plug in and and hit the button and be on a different Christian radio station? It's, It's not that light is lacking. It's that our flesh just happens to hate it. And that we love the darkness. And we're going to kind of develop that in a minute. That's in a minute. That's the bondage of the human heart. 
And we kind of have to see to understand the, the, the need for a grace in our life to see how dark and, and how deeply dark is our flesh. So as we look at that, a couple things about the darkness of the flesh. This is, this is our will. This is us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That doesn't bode well for us, making good life choices. This doesn't do well for Disney that has a theme for most of its movies, follow your heart. Um, it's not going to take you to a good place. Your natural inclinations, the things that make sense to you without God in the picture, will ruin you. They will ruin you tomorrow. They will ruin you the next day. And you can try it time after time. Your friend can try it. And you see people running down path of destruction because it's what they think they should do. And you see people ruining their lives all the time. And it's easy sometimes to look at their life and say, you know what, they're making really bad heart choices and I can see it. And if they follow that path, they will be in ruin. But it's a different thing to see it yourself. And sometimes the heart that is deceitful thinks that, that somehow in you, in me, as I'm doing it, it's, it's different. I can handle it. It'll be okay. And that deceitful heart will lead us in the path of destruction time after time after time, all while convincing us that we're on the right path, that there will be a payoff. There will be that pot of gold as I follow these things. And then they fail, and the flesh says, well, you know what? It only failed because, and gives you reasons, and then you think in your mind, next time I'll do it this way. And you go off on another path forgetting that the flesh is desperately wicked. Proverbs says it this way, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Trusting in yourself. Trusting in the flesh. Now there's a, one passage of scripture that's kind of comical if you really think about it when it talk, talks about the darkness of the flesh. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So if you have a good imagination, you have to picture this actually happening, okay? So let's see, somebody here, who wants to have your speck? Who has a speck in their eye? Anybody got a little tiny, you know, anybody? Okay, Jeff, Jeff, you're right here. Jeff's got a speck in his eye. And you got Warren back there walks in with a telephone pole in his eye, comes into the church, this big, big, big telephone pole, and he's trying to come up to Jeff and, and take out that little speck that's in his eye, you know, and Lisa's ducking because the telephone pole's going over her head, and he's turning around. He's got this huge issue. The flesh is dominating, but he's still trying to correct somebody else. And we're going to pull some principles out of this so we can see the flesh. So why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, that's very poetic language, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. We're going to take some principles out of that because basically there's a flesh 
at work in this little passage. And it's the person that's got this huge log, and it's how they live and react to anyone who tries to help them. You see, the flesh does not really welcome help. The flesh doesn't really want anyone meddling. The flesh wants to be left alone because that's just the way our hearts are. We don't want anyone correcting us. Does anyone get up in the morning and walk up to the first person you see? Can you give me some correction? Can you help me in my life and tell me what's wrong with me? I, I, I want to be a better person. What can you do about that? No, that's not the flesh. The flesh, well, we're going to see what the flesh does. Let's go through them. The flesh, the first one, it's deflective, points to the failures of others to hide or justify. When the flesh is operative and anyone comes into us, we, we immediately don't want to deal with anything of the flesh, so we want to deflect it to somebody else. So, so Mr. Log here, he's got the log in his own eye. Anything that draws attention to, well, well wait a minute, who do you think you are? Look, look what you've got in your life. You, know, you don't want to deal with your own flesh. You want to deflect it off to somebody else's failures, even if they're small failures. You know, who are you to say this about me? You do this too. The deflection. You see, the Spirit will, will weed through all of that and look for truth because it wants to be exposed so it can become more like Christ. But in the flesh, when that comes, we, we want to be deflective. We want to point it in a different direction. Um, we start finding fault with other people. And you see this with some people who begin to fade away from the church scene. Because when you're at the church scene, the Spirit's working, there's other people around you, and, and your flesh is going to become manifest. So what will happen for a lot of people, they'll start fault-finding. I don't go to church anymore because so-and-so goes there and they do this. I don't go to church anymore because it's just full of hypocrites. And it's full of all kinds of people. And, you know, the old joke is, well, just come one more won't hurt. You know, it's like, like, like you just become deflective and you become a fault finder because when you're pointing at everybody else, you don't have to point at yourself. You don't have to change anything. So that deflection starts to create distance from the body of Christ because you're so busy finding fault in them that you just kind of drift away and say, I, I, I don't want to be part of them. Because there's a part of us that just doesn't want to deal with our own flesh. You become deflective. You become defensive. You get angry when called to look at yourself. And I think that's all of us. None of us love correction. We don't want anyone to say, you know what, this is not a good part of your life. This is not something you should be doing. We get angry when that happens. And that's kind of um, wrapped up in this passage that this person with the beam in their eye, they've got this huge beam and when they're told about it and called into it, it's the, it's the pearls before the swine kind of thing. What does it say that they're going to do? They're going to turn and attack you. We've all struggled and wrestled with whether I should go to somebody and bring up this problem that I see. Do I say something? Do I not say something? And our flesh says, don't go say something because, you know, you're going to put yourself on the line. They probably won't listen. And we find it easy to just let people go their way without anything being said. 
because it's their choice. It's the way they're headed. But, but in this context, there's a place where people in the body of Christ need to love each other enough to be able to say something, whether it's received well or not. And you can kind of tell the heart that's receiving it by the reaction that you get to it. You see, sometimes when we try to help somebody in love and bring up a difficult issue, um, it doesn't always go well. You see, if flesh is dominating the other person, they will be angry. They will be defensive. In fact, it happened to Paul. He went to the church at Galatia, and when he got there, he, he was kind of attacked by them. He was going because they had gone back to the way of the flesh. They had gone back to do things humanly. And he pointed it out to them, and this is what he says in response to their reaction to them. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And that's what our flesh does. It turns the people that love us the most into our enemies because they're trying to help us. They're trying to get something in our life pointed in the right directions. So you can kind of feel when this happens because when, when we're in the flesh and we're doing something we're not supposed to be doing and we're really not open to correction whatsoever, the flesh will kind of avoid the people that we know that are going to disagree with us. Or, or, or somehow we'll just maybe not eye, make eye contact with them. And, and I see this happen all the time, that as a heart goes more and more into the flesh, it separates itself from anyone who could really help it. And that's what the flesh does. It eats us up. It puts walls between the people who really love us, and we just keep going further and further into destruction. It's deflective. It's defensive. It's determined. It rationalizes and plows ahead no matter what anyone says. We've done it. We know people like that. That we, we say, you know what, if it go this way, you know, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be right. And they may even say to you, you know, you're right. That's a very, very good point. And they'll walk away from the conversation, and they'll still head down the same path. 2 Timothy 4.3 talks about the end times attitude is going to be so fleshly. It says, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So in other words, they're only going to gather around themselves. People are going to tell them what they want to hear. And you know who they are, and they're very easy to find. There's people who will say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's cool. That's wonderful. That's great. Not that they love you or care about you. They just don't want to get into it. They just don't want to deal with it. But when it's a true person who cares and loves, they will take that step to get into your heart and life. But the flesh is determined because it's part of the will. And if you're, that will is in, in, down embodied into the heart of who you are, that flesh will do what it wants to do no matter who says what or how often they say it. The flesh is determined. It's also deaf and dumb. Um, the flesh does not ask and will not listen, or will not listen and does not ask. If you have a big life decision that, that's out in front of you, it's wise to ask more than one person. It's wise to ask other people for counsel, especially no one that, that knows about this, has shown by example this is how they live. We do it all the time in areas that matter. Let's say, uh, any, just supposing you were getting near retirement age, 
and you're thinking about your future. And you've got to think, well, you know what? I've got to plan for retirement. I, I don't really know finances very well, but my neighbor, he's declared bankruptcy three times. I'm going to go ask him for some advice and see how much he can help me prepare for retirement. You can see the problem there. You don't go to somebody, and he may tell me all the things I want to, want to say. Yeah, keep spending money the way you're spending it. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. That's good. That's good because that's the way he's lived, and it's not going to get me anywhere. You see, when it comes to true biblical counsel, you know who the people are that love you. You know the ones that care, that, that can tell you the right things. When the Spirit of God starts to take your heart over, you will want their counsel. You will want to talk to them. You will seek them out. You may seek out a mentor. And that's one of the reasons we, we had the formation friend thing that we're going to try pairing people up. So that you've got somebody in your life watching your back because we go to the flesh so often and get deceived. Sometimes we don't even know we're going the wrong way. We talked ourselves into thinking we're going the right way and we're really not. We need objective spiritual eyes to look in at our life and say, you know what? That is not a good place to be. That is not a good attitude to have. And then in, in you know, reciprocating, you're able to do that for somebody else in that kind of relationship. They will not listen. They will not ask. Because if they did listen, they'd have to change. They'd have to deal with that. And, and the flesh doesn't want to do that. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do. Number six, it's deceitful. Manipulates, lurks in the secrets, in the shadows. Doesn't really want you to know everything. At one point, maybe in their life they were doing better, and now they're doing something that eh, it's, it's not good, it's not right. And all of a sudden, that distance, that shadow, and, and you really don't know where they are. And they don't want to tell you where they are because they've got some secret stuff going on. And what they tell you and what they wind up doing are two different things. So in their heart, they've been deceived. And they will manipulate things. They become deceitful. They'll talk themselves into doing something. They'll list a hundred reasons why this is the right thing to do. I know I can point to some times when I was about to make a purchase. And the purchase really wasn't necessary. And it really wasn't wise. But how much effort I remember putting into coming up with a list of every reason why it's good to spend money on this. And listing, this is, this is why, this is why, this is why. And if I really, really were honest, at the end of that list, I could have written flesh across every one of them. Because I'm talking myself into doing something that I want to do, not something that really I've sought the, the wise counsel, I've sought the heart of the Lord over, because the flesh manipulates all the time. We know how to act. We know how to give the silent treatment to get what we want. We know how to, to fight hard enough. And I think, you know, kids, young teens, you know what it's like. You know what your parents will get to a certain point. Or if you go at it hard enough, they'll say, fine, <laughs> go ahead. You know, so the flesh manipulates. The flesh knows how to get its way. And it becomes really, really good at it. It's something that's deceitful and leads to ruin. And finally... The flesh is disruptive and destructive. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only 
in a human way. If flesh is dominating your heart, you're going to be cranky. You're going to be somebody who is often at odds with other people. That's a mark of the flesh. The flesh doesn't get along with people. Eventually, especially those that are trying to help and lovingly guide them in a certain way, it's not going to be a pretty picture. And if I find myself constantly arguing, constantly fighting, the flesh is right there cheering you on, saying, you go, you go. And, and half the time, we don't really identify it and say, this is the flesh and this is the Spirit of God and start doing the battle plan to change it. We just go the course. And we just let the anger fly unchecked, unchanged, and then we calm down, everybody apologizes, and it's over, and a little bit of time goes by, and boom, it blows all up again. And that happens with the flesh in areas of thought. The flesh will take your computer all kinds of places, and you will lurk in the shadows, and you will hide, and you'll have this private little life going on, and and you're just going to go that way, and you will miserable inside. It's not just disruptive and destructive to people around you. It does it to you. So that in your heart you're just, you just know things aren't right. You have guilt. You have all these conflicting things and there's no peace inside of you whatsoever. You see the flesh will do that and the hard thing about the flesh, the flesh and the spirit really both want the same thing. They do. And we're going to talk about that more next week. Your flesh wants the blessing of God. You want the good things that God has, and that's what the Spirit of God wants. The problem is the flesh makes up its own way to get there. And it decides that this is how you get that. This is what you do. And as you do this, you'll get there. And that is the lie of the devil, and the devil just makes catering to the flesh, where the Spirit of God says there is but one way, and that is through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we learn to plug into that, we begin to see the flesh die, and we will become more sinful than we ever thought we were. Because a lot of times the flesh is at work right now, we don't, we don't even identify it. It just does its thing. But as God begins to change you, you start like, I'm a mess. I am wrong in this. I am wrong in this. I am wrong in this. God changed me. And it, it was in one of our Bible studies that the comment was made that sometimes God only shows you so much of your flesh at one time. Because if you really saw how much of it was holding you, you would quit and run away screaming. It's like, oh my goodness, am I really that far off what I should be? Chances are for most of us, yes. But the gentle, loving grace of God does not condemn us, does not beat us to a pulp out of guilt but takes and say, yeah, you really are like that. But I still love you and have always loved you and love you with an everlasting love. And if we together can take this next step, a little bit more peace will come back to your heart. A a little bit more love will come to your soul. A little bit less conflict with other people because the flesh just does that. The flesh just brings conflict wherever it goes. And akin to this, number four, we're not going to say much about it, That our hearts, our wills are in bondage of the hatred for the supremacy of God. We love darkness. So it only goes to say that our flesh hates God. Now, not hate like the intense hatred that we think of when we look around at people and like, oh, I just hate this. It's a hatred of just totally uh, 
alienating ourselves from him and not desiring anything the way he wants to do it. That I have another path that I want to follow. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You see, when flesh grabs my heart, even as a Christian, and I decide to, to live by that rather than by the liberty that comes through the Spirit of God, when I decide to do that, there is a bondage that makes me hostile to the things of the Lord. You cannot submit to a law whose first command is to love the God that you hate. And our flesh hates God. It does not want his way within us. We will not submit to him. In fact, your flesh can't do it. There's nothing in it to make that happen. It is an act of grace. And then finally, number five, the bondage of blindness to the glory of Christ. This is one of the devil's greatest tactics to keep us defeated. In their cases, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's a tactic. Satan uses it before you come to Christ. Stay blinded to the goodness and glory of Christ. But it's a tactic that he uses once you come to know Christ. You see, if we really saw the glory of Christ, on a daily basis, a lot of the things that the flesh wants to do and the direction it wants to go would, would just kind of melt away. Because when you've got something so awesome and wonderful, it's easy to say no to these other things. If I gave you the car of your dreams, and whatever it would be, a sports car or this awesome pickup truck or whatever it is that you would like, and then I brought in a junker that didn't have an engine and only had one seat and was rusted and, and people, and some of you might say, yeah, that's my car. Uh, you know, I drug that in. And one of those would blind you to the others. If you didn't see the awesome car, you only saw the other one, you'd say, yeah, I guess that's what I got. Nothing else, this is what I'm going to get. But if you knew there was a choice between the glory and disgrace, if you really saw that all the time, the choice would be easy. Flesh would be put to death. But when we get blindness to the glory of Christ, we see glory in other things. Ooh, that looks pretty. That looks wonderful. So instead of trusting God and his glory to make it work out, we lose sight. We don't see him as glorious. We don't see him as wonderful. We just look over here and see this. This is what's the glory I'm seeing right now. This is the path that I'm going to follow. What does grace do in each of these? Number one, under the bondage of guilt, Jesus says, I give you the gift of my righteousness. You're legally condemned. You don't stand a prayer. I'm giving you my very, very righteousness. The scriptures say, He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. To the bondage of spiritual death, God says, I give you the gift of my life in you, in your inward parts. The scriptures say, when you were dead in your trespasses, 
I made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. To that spiritual death comes divine life. To the bondage, for the darkness of self, God says, I give you the gift of repentance to be able to change the direction that you're going. 2 Timothy says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. Repentance is a grace given by God so that we can choose to not go this way and to go the way of the Lord. The bondage for the hatred of the supremacy of God, God says, I give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. To be able to love God is why the Holy Spirit was given to us. To give us that ability to choose and give him first place by his power. And to the bondage of the blindness to the glory of Christ. God says, I give you the gift of my light. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. To every bondage that our heart is in, there is a grace that is given that is much greater, that is able to put the flesh to death. But it really has to do with plugging in to the proper source. As we pick up next week, we're going to look at the typical morning when we wake up. We're going to plug into something. It's either going to be the flesh or it's going to be grace. One of those will give you the path of life. The other will destroy you. By 9 o'clock, you're going to plug into something. You will plug into grace, or you will plug into the flesh. At 9.01, you will plug into something. You will plug into grace or the flesh. At 9.02, because you know how sin goes. You know what, how you lose things. You can start off really, really good, and by 9.04, it went south. You see, sources are choices. And as we choose to live by grace, the more we do it, the deeper it goes into that embodied will, where it becomes natural. But until it gets to that point, we're back and forth, back and forth. The truth of grace is that God has given us so that we can put the flesh to death, live in God's light, so that he can begin to transform us. So what naturally will come out of us are the deeds and works and personality of Jesus Christ himself. He saved us to make that happen. That's the normal Christian life. That is the victory that comes through grace. May we not be contented with anything else. May we never just say, oh, it's just normal. It's just the way I am. It's the way people are. That's a slap in the face to the grace of God. He says, I've come to give you life and give it super abundantly. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. Father, forgive us.
for the way that we often squander that grace. And don't let it have its full work in us. Where we just get to a certain point, Lord, and we just kind of plateau. Help us to be people who see the glory, your glory, in the face of Jesus Christ. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Father, help us in our struggle. Help us in our understanding and what it, of what it means to plug into grace. To have grace be the source that we live from and not the flesh. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.